Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but money itself is at the root of many things as well. And now, think about what happens when money is corrupted, as it has been repeatedly throughout history, is now, and in this fallen world, always will be. If you think about that too much, you might feel sad. Last time, we kicked off this series talking about the beginning of money, and we started making our way through the characteristics that make for good money. This time, we continue down the list of characteristics to arguably the most important one, and we look at what forms of money were used by early civilizations. Okay, we don't actually look at it, but we do talk about it. Then we end off with central banking and fractional reserve banking. This is super important to know, especially if you're trying to store the value of your time and labor into the future, which we all are. If you want to get in touch, Mark is at joyhill.ca. I'm at goodstewards.ca. And now let's get into the rest of those characteristics of money. Hello again, folks. Welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. We're continuing our uh, series on money. And I'm here with Bur- the, the lovely and talented Brent. Thanks, Mark. And uh, and my name is Mark. I mean, so. I know I'm talented, but I didn't know I was lovely. <laughs> well, somebody needs to tell you every now and again, don't they, Brent? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, we were talking about money last time. Talking we, about uh, how to store your value st- in the future. halfway through. Store the value of your time. Exactly. And um, to understand like what makes good money, what makes sound money, we want to talk about some of the characteristics of money. We were getting through that. And um, we were getting a bit long, so we uh, we stopped there. But uh, let, why don't we get back to that, right? We talked about um, some of the characteristics of of money as being uh, it should be divisible, yeah. It should be durable, yeah. Um, it should be portable, right? All these things. So we have a few more things that we can talk about. So one is that it should be um, so fungible which is kind of the same, I think, as uniform. So if you think of uh, NFTs, you know, you know NFTs, Brent? Uh, yeah. Non-fungible tokens? Yes. Yeah, so that's kind of when that word became Don't ask popular. me to describe <laughs> what they do. Well, they're basically unique, right? That's sort of the opposite, I think, of fungible. Right. Um, and yeah, they're, they're ridiculous, but the idea is you would have this unique piece of digital yeah. art that could not be duplicated. It's a digital token that is non-fungible. Yeah. Okay. But when it comes to money, uh, we want it to be fungible or duplicatable. Um, but yeah, so to be the exact same. So uniform is, is another way I think of describing right. it, right? When you have a $20 bill, uh, all the other $20 bills are the same. And in the context of money, it's not just that they're the same. It's not like a piece of art where like you can just take a digital version of artwork and copy paste it. And now you have two of the same. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's, uh, like money's a store of value. So it's, it, it, that token or that, uh, money has the same amount of value. Like it stores the same amount of value in it. So if I give you a $20 bill and we like, we both have a $20 bill and we change them, it's not like there's yours has 0.001% more value in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Maybe if you're famous and you sign it, then <laughs> yeah. it <laughs> now all of a sudden it's worth $20 million. But yeah, um, but yeah in, in general, you want your uh, currency or your money to, oh, they're not the same. I shouldn't say no, that. No, your money. Honest. Yeah, you want your yeah. money to be uh, fungible. Um, and yeah, and so that's useful for trade, yeah. right? Because then I know I was gonna that if we ask, have... but you jumped right to the answer. Well, I, I read your mind, Brent. Why I could see it? right through yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so if we go back to this example of villages. Not only am I lovely and talented, but I'm also see-through. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this idea of people transacting trade through, you know, within different villages or different countries. Yeah. Right. So if you imagine that they um, they eventually settled on uh, gold as an example, yeah. um, you well, what, what, what's happened is you came up gold coins came into existence. So generally, this would be the ruler of that city or yeah, the country. Yeah, he was probably getting sick and tired of everybody sitting around all day weighing gold. He's just, you know what? We got to make a coin. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's how a lot of them came into came into being, right? Um, so you would often have them. If we go to the, you know, my favorite, the Roman Empire. Yeah, you would have the likeness of the emperor imprinted upon the uh, coins, so that everybody would know this is a Roman coin. Um, 
it's it's bearing the the likeness of the emperor so he approves of this and they are all the same because uh they were produced in this you know by their roman mint whatever yeah. that would be um and then disseminated throughout the empire but they're yeah. all the same they all have the same value and you can trust it because the emperor backs it yeah and uh, of course people fooled around with it and they would shave coins yeah and, and do all kinds but of but now stuff. you can imagine like the transaction how that goes right give me uh that product that you have on the shelf there uh it's you know five gold coins okay let's pull them out of your wallet blink 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 thank you Right. Just one yep. quick glance at the at the money that you handed the person or the merchant. Now, all of a sudden, the transaction's over. Right. It's not like he takes it. OK. And he weighs it out and says, OK, well, I don't know, actually, you owe me a little bit, a little bit more. And yeah, no. Now your transaction speed can increase dramatically. Yeah. Right. And which is great, because when you talk about the value of um, like uh, trade, right, being the production of. What do you even say? I don't even remember. I, a lot well, of the you, things uniformity. you say, I tune you out. <laughs> <laughs> you and my wife both. Wow. Um, well, no, that that is. So we're talking about uniformity of money, right? So if you know that it's uniform, you can trust it instead of like, this guy's got these coins from here and there, and I don't know what these coins are. Yeah, no, but you always talk about how trade is the uh, beginning of value or something like Foundation that. Foundation of wealth. Foundation yeah. of wealth. Yeah. Yes. See, I was listening. <laughs> when you said it this time. halfway anyway yeah so if trade is slow then you yeah. can see that you know wealth is gonna wealth creation or wealth is gonna be slow and then yeah if you can speed that up well fungibility or uniformity in your money is one really easy way to scale it up yeah speed it up yeah i mean there's another concept there too right the velocity of money which we talk about more in conjunction with uh our current uh, money system, but yeah. if you want to slow inflation down, you kind of slow down the speed of money, the velocity of money, and that's how quickly it will circulate yeah. through the economy, right? But that's a bit of a side note, and we'll talk about that <laughs> next time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so in order for money to be good and useful, it should be uniform, it should be fungible, um, so that you can have trust that each unit is the same, yeah. and yeah. There's speed in uh, in trade, uh, recognizable, and that kind of ties into this as well, yeah. right? If we know that okay, this coin bears the image of Caesar. Um, I've seen this before. We use it all over the empire. Yeah. Like it's not like what is this now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you can imagine if you had twenty dollar bills and like they're all different colors, for example. Yeah. Right, and just the the guy who designed them thought, you know what? Let's let's make them all different colors. You know, no two the same. <laughs> well, they all say 20 on it. It all actually is supposed to represent 20, but they're not very easily recognizable. So you're going to pull it out of your wallet and the guy's going to be like, wait a minute. That's, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like kind of like um, going back to coming out of the uh, sort of the medieval period, um, out of the dark ages, as they call them, yeah. right? You had Venice started minting their own money. Uh, ducats, I think, and then Florence started um, minting their own coins, uh, florins. Yeah. And, you know, very quickly they became recognized all throughout the world, at least along the trade routes anyways, um, as as valid money. And if you had a, a florin, like that was worth something because it was backed by Florence and, um, you know, it actually had yeah. value because just, you know, in because of the amount of gold that was in it. But that, again, that's an example of something that was recognizable. People would. Yeah. So you might have someone who had like a bag of coins and there were some florins in there, some ducats in there, some dinars um, from like the Turkish Empire. Um, but they were all recognizable and traders yeah. knew what they were and they had trust in them. Yeah. And that enabled uh, trade to continue. Oh, and now we get to the most important one or the most exciting one, etc. Oh, <laughs> no. sorry. I'm, sorry. No. Down on the list there. Etc. is not an important uh, value of money. No. Um, <laughs> but unless you're in fiat money like today. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's etc. Uh, no scarcity. It has to be scarce. Why does it have to be scarce? <clears throat> Uh, because if it's not scarce, then it really doesn't have uh, a lot of value, right? Yeah. So if you think of, um, I don't know, what's an example? Well, so gold is an example, I guess, of something that is relatively scarce. Yeah. It's not absolutely scarce, but it's relatively scarce. Yeah. 
and um, which is again why people uh, historically have gravitated towards gold, right? Yeah, whether or not it's actually uh, scarce, or if our ability as human beings to extract it from the earth is yeah. limited. Um, yeah, and that's more the point. Yeah, right. As technology improves, we can. Um, we okay, can so the, why is it is important? Because money, like we talked about earlier in last episode, we keep saying is a store of your time. Yeah, right. It's a store of the value of your time. Um, so if you're trying to store your labor into the future and um, you're looking for a medium to do that in, um, you obviously want something that can't be uh, easily produced. Yeah. Right? Because if somebody can just easily produce it, right? In effect, what they're doing is just devaluing your time. And they're e- like, if, if so, if you work really hard and you store your value in this thing, and then somebody else can work not very hard and produce lots of these things. Now it's not very scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I kind of say it's, it's the most important one because that really underlies the whole system is it has yeah. to really, uh, it has to be durable. It has to outlast, but that's kind of like this physical aspect to it, right? Like you don't want to deteriorate, but more importantly, you don't want somebody else to go out there and produce millions and millions of these things yeah. and devalue, um, you know, in, in a, in a very quick way, the value of your time. So for example, like if you chose gold, that's great. Um, you know, it might not rot or corrode for years and years, but mm-hmm. if somebody can go out and mine, you know, all the gold and come on your doorstep and be like, look, you know, your time is worth nothing now. <laughs> well, so interesting. There is an example in history and, and, you know, historians disagree on the accuracy of this, but you had uh, Mensa Musa. He was a Ooh. famous African uh, king, and had um, was he famous uh, from Mali? I think infamous. Famous? No, he was famous. Famous. Okay. Maybe a little infamous. Um, <clears throat> oh man, I should know this. But I think he was from uh, the kingdom Mali. Okay. And they had tons of like Africa, lots of natural resources. They had tons of gold. So he made a trip up into. Um, uh, where do you go up into sort of, uh, Asia minor Europe, yeah. that area. And, um, apparently he, if you believe the stories, he brought so much gold with him that he actually depressed the economies of all the places that he visited because they spent, uh, very liberally and used so much gold, um, that it debased all the gold, it they debased had, all they... the currency, right? Or, it reduced yeah. the scarcity of the, like everybody, had good, like beggars got gold, right? Yeah. So for years to come, it affected those economies. So, you know, again, historians are divided on how, um, uh, how truthful this is. Yeah. I'm sure there's a grain of truth to it at, at the very least, but yeah. you know, this is a country that had a lot of gold and, um, yeah, even gold was able to be debased. But I think an important aspect of scarcity, uh, is also the knowledge that it's scarce. Right. Because not only is it, uh, it is something scarce, people have to know that it is scarce as well to have that trust that it's not going to be easily right. um, added to. So you kind of say they would have to verify that it's scarce? Like, no, I, but I mean, everybody kind of knows, right? That, yeah, gold is scarce. And I mean, now we have much more information, but even more technology to go find it. So. Thousands, you know, a thousand years ago, um, yeah. people also understood that like it takes a lot of labor to get it. And it's not very often that you can, you have a gold mine. And if you have one, that's really valuable because there's not many out there. Yeah. Um, but we can, if you think of, there's some examples, right? So, um, is it a moose? If it ain't a moose who talks about this, um, like the, the Yap islands. Yeah. Right. With these <clears> ray <throat> stones. Yeah, where, rye um, stones. Rye? Yeah, whatever. Rye? rye. The Yappies. Potato, pot- potato. The um, island of Yap, for those who might want to Google it. So Y-A-P. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yup. Which is what we do a lot. It's a lot of yapping. <laughs> um, anyways, they, they use these these stones. Yeah. Uh, which were not very, which were not native to this island. They had to go far away to quarry them, right? And uh, the bigger the stone, the more valuable it was. And it was kind of currency. So you would have like, basically the chiefs would have the biggest stones. And it was just known who owned this stone or that stone, right? Depending on the size. You could have some smaller ones, I guess, for um, 
for uh, for local trade or whatever, but you would have like a really big one, like maybe it's a ton, and it just you know they eventually they mine it, quarry it, get it to this uh, spot, and they dump it there, and then it wouldn't move. Ownership of that stone would change, and it'd be like you know Chief A would own it, and then he would trade it to Chief B for something, and people all understood that this is uh, what it was, and so this worked for a long time for them, right? Because they're relatively isolated. And this thing was scarce. Yeah. And um, it was a lot of effort to go get more of these stones till yeah. this uh, European fella came along and thought, hey, <laughs> I can just go mine a whole bunch of these because I got a big boat. I can put a lot of st these stones in there. Yeah. I have technology, so it's much easier for me to quarry these stones. So he did that. And, you know, long story short, crashed their economy. Yeah. Right? And made these stones effectively useless. So you want the money to be hard to produce or expensive to produce, essentially. Yeah. Um, which, in the context of rye stones on the island of Yop. Or ray stones. Ray stones. Those stones. The big stones <laughs> with the hole in the middle. Donut stones. <laughs> in the context of that, they were very hard and time-consuming to produce um, in, in their little village. Yeah, so, I mean, if the you minute you of, introduce other technologies that they could never have thought of, yeah. all of a sudden, maybe those people in that village would not have chosen that to be money, right? They would have sought something else. Yeah. But their context wasn't changed until this guy showed up in a boat with the technology, to, like dynamite or whatever he needed to blow up all the stones <laughs> yeah. and quarry them. So. <clears throat> so, yeah, another example would be glass beads, agri beads, or. Um, they're, they're mentioned by different names, but yeah. in a large portion of uh, Saharan Africa and, or West Africa anyways. Yeah. Um, West? That is East. I think it was West. A large portion of Africa, shall we say, um, where they use these glass beads for trade for many, many years. Yeah. Because they were hard to find, hard to polish and form. And like they're relatively rare. They're yeah. pretty scarce. Yeah. Right? Not so scarce that, like, if you saw one, it was a big yeah. deal. But <clears throat> you could have these beads. You could put them on necklaces. So they met a lot of the other characteristics that we talk about, right? They're pretty durable. Um, yeah. They were not necessarily uniform. Yeah. Because they would all be different. But um, they were recognizable, right? And they're relatively scarce to yeah. the point where many tribes use them And fairly for portable trade. as well. Like, you could put them in a necklace yes. or a bracelet and... Yeah, it almost became like a show of status or wealth, right? You wear these things and... Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, you could trade them for stuff. And um, eventually... So scarcity. Scarcity was the biggest factor, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but then what happened? Well, eventually you're We have the advantage can. of uh, <laughs> hindsight with history books. But, yeah, exactly. You know, people are going to do this to us in 200 years. And like, you know, I was listening to the Two Stewards show the other day. And like, they thought money was this. And <laughs> like, <laughs> then what well, happened? Well, <laughs> so there's, there are some parallels to today. And we can argue that. What happened with those is what's happening today as well. Yeah, okay. But let's but, talk about what happened with those. Okay, let's talk about that first. So the Amer or the Africans are using these uh, beads. They're relatively scarce. They're they're valuable in other ways. And now, like, their economy is kind of functioning off them quite well. What happens? Yeah, and this wasn't the only thing <sighs> that they used, but it was, it was an important thing. So, yeah. um, you know, once Europeans uh, sort of rediscovered Africa or started... Right, Arabs had been trading there for years, but Europeans uh, came in and they had glass-making technology. So Venice yeah. specifically, they're like, hey, and like even if you go to Italy now, right, you have Murano glass, okay. which is still uh, ridiculously expensive. I don't know why, but um, just glass blowing is a thing there, right? Yeah. <clears throat> they, to this day, they make lots of fine things out of glass. Uh, and then incorporate different colors and stuff, right? But they yeah. realize, like, hey, these guys use these beads. And all we can are. make these beads. Yeah. Right? They're not exactly the same. They're not maybe formed by volcanoes or whatever. Um, but we can just, we can make them. Yeah. And uh, so, like, I could just imagine the first guy yeah. who, who, like, got <laughs> a whole bunch into of them, <laughs> went over there and he was just like, you know, hey, I got some beads. You want to, uh, you want to trade for something? And yeah. then they're like, oh, yeah, great. He's yeah. like, 
it actually worked. It actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Right? Let me go back to the ship with a <laughs> yeah. wheelbarrow. Yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. They would come over with ships like full of beads. Yeah. And they wouldn't show them or tell the people they trade, but they would go from like one tribe to the next tribe to the next tribe. And basically just plunder <clears throat> these tribes. Yeah. And I guess in a peaceful way, right? Like you're plundering through diluting their money supply. Yeah. Uh, the, the glass beads are no longer scarce. So all these African people who are storing the value of their time in these beads, yeah. right? Maybe for generations, who knows, right? All of a sudden, some guy shows up in a boat and he's like, thank you, I'll take your intergenerational wealth and I'm going to use it for this instead. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah, so it's important to note that like this happened over probably hundreds of years. Yeah. Where to the point where like the beads were no longer useful. Um because people eventually realized, but they, you know, these, the people that lived there didn't realize this right away. It was happening right under their nose. Yeah. They couldn't see it. The Europeans could see it. Yeah. Other people could probably see it, but nobody told them. And, uh, they didn't realize like until it was too late. Yeah. So another interesting, uh, side note, um, if you will, is that this was used to facilitate the slave trade, yeah. right? The slave trade existed before the Europeans came. But once they came, they're like, hey, I can get a lot of slaves for my colonies in the Caribbean and in uh, in the Americas um, with these glass beads. No longer do I have to bring, like do a whole bunch of trade for like spices or whatever, yeah. you know, go to China, get, you know, trade this for spices and then, um, you know, do a whole bunch of trades and then come back here with the spices. Yeah. That these Isn't another want. name for these beads, slave beads or something? Yeah. So yeah, yeah that'd be another one. Right. Yeah. Um, and they did a booming business. And so essentially they, yeah, you can just see how large portions of Africa, <laughs> Africa were, like you said, plundered, right. Yeah. For their, like the most important resource, if you could term it that way, which is people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, shipped them out to be slaves so, in other like uh, the sla areas. So uh, just to underscore, like the slave trade existed before this, that it's yeah. kind of always existed throughout history, but by having unsound money or money that, um, is not scarce, um, the, the people who can create the money yeah. can take advantage over the people who can't create the money and are living in this kind of, I don't know where he got all these beats from, but I guess they're real. And well, here's my, you know, well, this is what we use. We've always used it for yeah. a long time. This is how it is. Yeah. Right. Why would I like my parents used it? My grandparents used it. Yeah. Why like, does it all of a sudden not work now? I'm, like I've never seen glass making technology. Yeah. Yeah. Let's trade. Okay. And then, yeah, eventually they, they get more and more and more of your wealth. But it's funny that you talk about slaves because essentially what money, like, I keep bringing back to this, but money is the value of your time, right? So if you're actually, uh, you're quite literally a slave <laughs> when somebody controls the money, right? Yeah. Because if somebody comes in and they control the money, they can essentially buy all of your time, right? Or take the value of all of your time. And that is slavery. Yeah. Because right? like now you don't control your time and you're working for someone else. And that's kind of like, I guess, more of a physical rudimentary way. But today we kind of have the same sort of thing, right? Like if you don't, if, if one entity controls the supply of the money and can dilute it or uh, massively increase the supply, um, by doing so, they essentially steal your time, right? Um, and you can't uh, efficiently store the value of your time. So you're mm -hmm. essentially just giving up a percentage of your time to the person who is uh, producing uh, that money. So yeah. I don't know if that's a good way to explain it, but it's an interesting connection when you talk about slavery and the value yeah. of your time. Yeah, certainly not minimizing, you know, the the effects of the slave trade and what happened there, especially with, you yeah, know, not saying capital. it's a good thing. No, no. <laughs> but it is um it it makes you think. It's an interesting parallel. And it's it is interesting that like <laughs> so we don't really have <laughs> the slave trade now. But again, if you look at Africa and the policies of, uh, I'm not, okay, I'm not like anti, uh, you know, everything is, uh, the you know, the, all our problems come because <laughs> of colonialism and the patriarchy. And like, I am not that way at all. But there are some things that you can't deny. And when you look at Africa, it's still, yeah, is sort of being plundered for natural resources. Um, there are people working in essential, essentially like, 
slave conditions um, for all the resources that Africa has to offer. And this is happening through, um, I mean, you can talk about the, the colonial powers did that through the years, right? Everybody had their turn. Um, but there's still vestiges of the of colonialism in Africa, right? France still controls the money supply in a number of countries, which just kind of blew my mind. Like, oh, they have a special kind of franc that they can only use, and it's tied to natural resource extraction. And France really relies on Like, it's not something a lot of people talk about, but I don't yeah. know. I'd love to do an episode on that sometime. <laughs> um, but then you've also got... Um, I mean, like China is blatantly doing it with their Belt and Road Initiative, um, where they are supplying money, supplying debt uh, to these countries in exchange for infrastructure spending. But now they've got that. They understand once you get somebody in debt, now they're your slave. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Americans will decry uh, China for doing this. But America has been doing the same thing for years through uh, whether through outright lending and infrastructure <clears throat> programs. Yeah. Whether it's through the IMF <coughs> it's or almost whether it's like through a foreign more, reserves. Yeah, it's almost like a more peaceful way to steal people's value. Right. Yeah. Um, like if you have a civilization where everyone stores their wealth in, let's say, these glass beads and... Um, you know, you want to actually take all of their wealth. Yep. You can go in and fight them and actually take their glass beads. But a more peaceful and perhaps uh, more effective tactic over the long term to extract value, especially if you have certain things that you want, but you don't necessarily want to obliterate the society. You just want them to keep producing the thing that you want. You yep. want to buy it undervalued or you want to basically take it. Um, you know, using these kind of superior monetary technologies and coming in or superior um, means of production of their monetary technology. And you come in and you just totally take the value that they've worked so hard for and you uh, take it for yourself. Right. It's 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 a more peaceful way of theft. <laughs> yeah. it's And it's more insidious. Right. Because, yeah. yeah, you can also going back to the you don't even notice we're talking about you can also go in then and like make right build infrastructure as an example and yeah. be like look we'll build this airport but then you owe us yeah so not only are you extracting the uh the current value that they have their resources you know either at some point those resources are depleted or maybe they're not and you just continually do it but then you also have a stranglehold over this this country or this nation yeah and um and like they just now they can't get away even if they want even if they realize what's going on they can't get away hey quick side note here okay <laughs> when Did mark you, says uh, quick and side note yeah buckle go, up <laughs> yeah go get a piece of pie or something and uh, <laughs> and have a seat no um so this youtuber mr beast i don't know if you've heard of him no okay so he's a youtuber probably might like have, might have had it. the okay. most famous Just, youtuber probably okay. that's probably what um so he went over to a couple countries in africa like um like kenya and a few other places and um he's like you know what we're just going to go build a hundred wells right and they went and they built a hundred wells which are like essential for communities right? right to have clean safe drinking water and did it like I, I can't remember but like really quickly pretty cheaply yeah and, but he spent his own money right and like a lot of this will come back to him in youtube views and 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 monetize it but it was it was philanthropy and um like he got a little bit of flack for doing this, right? Especially from some of the non-governmental organizations um, who are there to, well, so from governments for one, and um, right, the Kenyan government wasn't all too happy with them because it kind of showed them up. These NGOs weren't too happy because it kind of showed them up. And um, I, I was just thinking about this, talking about, Africa plundering the resources and like what is the point of a lot of these non-governmental organizations right their stated goal is we're going to bring clean drinking water to Africans and like or food or like whatever their goal is they never achieve it right and you know maybe you're conspiracy minded maybe you're not take this uh, for what you think right but they're much better if I'm working for a non-government organization um 
there's no job security if I actually set out what we, or if I accomplish what we set out to do. If I, I'm like, we're going to build X amount of wells and I do that, well, now I'm out of a job. <laughs> if I can just keep it on the cusp and keep getting yeah, donations never and never achieve. actually fully achieve what we want to do. And it's just yeah. an example of like, he went in there, he's like, I'm going to do build a hundred and it was easy. Yeah. The technology exists. The people exist. They just, just need dig. some money to, to build the wells. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, what about, you know, keeping them running and all that? It's like, well. We'll build another one next week. <laughs> well, that or like I'll continue to fund it or maybe the government can take over. Like surely you can just provide people for maintenance for these things, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's just uh, an example of, um, I don't know. I, I guess we're talking about people taking resources from poor countries and it just there's just so much grift that happens around all of this and a lot yeah. of it is centered around money and um as we'll probably get into uh, another time like it's the result yeah. of unsound money yeah if you and had sound money if you had a perfect money another way to look at it too is that like the fact whether or not the the money itself can be controlled right yeah um because choosing agri beads or glass beads in that society in the african society like they like the supply of those beads couldn't be controlled until the europeans introduced that element right and well, then could they could go, they could manufacture it yeah if you were really industrious and you had the time you could probably go like dig them up or find yeah, them or yeah. polish them or whatever right but there yeah. was a significant amount of um time and risk associated with yeah. that so that gets into the concept i think we want to talk about next which is um I, well, maybe hone in on gold uh, essentially but um why was gold chosen well it's hard or costly to produce right yeah so um the other element of scarcity is the fact that like it's actually expensive to produce um so therefore it's scarce but um Something we should talk about is the stock to flow ratio. Whoa. And that's a new huge, concept. huge concept, but it very directly ties into all this. Um, <laughs> 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 so stock to flow ratio stock mm -hmm. is how much is in stock? How much uh, money do we have? What do we got on the shelf in like out there? Right. Yeah. And the flow is how much new money can be created in any given year, right? Yeah. And that ratio of the existing stockpiles of this money versus the new, newly produced or newly minted money uh, or newly mined, uh, whatever it is, that ratio is very important to look at when you're examining uh, and you've got your little clipboard and, or check, check boxes and you're going down the list. Like, is this going to be a good money, right? So you want something, is it a high stock to flow ratio or a low stock to flow ratio? I always forget. Well, it would be stock to flow. You want a high stock yeah. to the available flow. And why? So you want a high stock because you want the inflation of the, like the new supply to be low. Low. You want it to be One side, minimal. the other is low. Yeah. yeah. Because what essentially, like you, it's hard to find something that has a zero, like where there's, uh, is a hundred percent, zero percent. You want, it's hard to find something where there is no more being produced. Yeah. Right. Um, because like any commodity out there, like you can always go into the earth's surface and mine more copper or zinc or gold or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so you can find these elements and you can create them and they have varying degrees of, uh, cost to produce, right. Or cost to mine, cost to purify. Um, so the ones that, uh, have a huge stockpile are ones that, um, the, the, the substance that you're mining or producing, uh, doesn't rot or deteriorate right so it's it's always existed it's like you know and so gold kind of fits that right it's, yeah it doesn't uh corrode or rot or deteriorate over time so the stockpiles aren't going away right essentially uh the other way to look at stockpiles is whether or not they're being consumed right yeah so like grain uh or cattle or salt or some of these other things that were chosen as money in past civilizations those things can be consumed. So you might have a large stockpile one year, but then, you know, you consume half of it. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, yeah, and the stock to flow is unpredictable. You could have a good green harvest or a bad green harvest. So yeah. it's not so bad if there's a lower stock to flow, like if you got more flow because you got to constantly replace. But it's, yeah, not very predictable either, right? Yeah. So, and if you're storing your value, uh, the value of your time in something, you obviously want to have... Uh, 
ideally a stable stock to flow ratio and one that's predictable, like you said. I thought you said not cows. You're talking about stables. (laughs) You don't want your stock to flow ratio to be in the stable. Okay. You want it to be the stable. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) So, and then the flow side of it is what's being produced every year. Right. And so that is kind of directly linked to, um, the, the cost to produce again, because if you think about it, if, if, if gold is money, why doesn't everybody just go out and mine gold? Right. Like it's, it's money. Just go get it out of the ground, people. And then you have money. Like, why would you go to work and work all day for maybe a tiny fraction of a piece of gold when you could just go out, you know, and mine it? Oh, that's what they did in the gold rush in the Klondike. Yeah. So the reality is that gold is this thing that uh, is quite expensive and time consuming to mine or to mm-hmm. produce. Right. And it's not under the control of an entity that can just produce it. It's naturally... Um, that right it's it's uh <clears throat> governed by nature and the fact that like you have to actually go outside and dig for this stuff right <laughs> or produce it from seawater or seawater how do they do that why don't we start well, doing they, that, they can't yet because it's too oh, expensive okay. but there See. is trace amounts of gold in <laughs> seawater apparently yeah so yeah. and that's where like the cost to produce um is yeah is is very yeah it's very important because um, if it was cheap to produce, everyone would just do it. But if it's expensive to produce, then no one does it. So then you have like your stock to flow ratio kind of um, plays out over time, right? Yeah. And these these waves, like you have the gold rush, everybody's doing it. Well, then the price of gold kind of climbs a bit, right? <clears throat> and uh, well, drops. Drops. Yeah. Sorry. There's yeah. more gold, so yeah, the price price uh, the value of it drops. Um, but then when it's maybe a bit more scarce. Um, but what's, what's gold stock to flow ratio over history? Like 2%. Yeah. But compare that to other things, like other things would be 1% or maybe 5%, 10%. No, it would be higher. Yeah. yeah. Gold is a very low, maybe we got it backwards, but, um, yeah, low stock to flow. So it's a low flow, right? 2% of new gold is produced each year. Now that's on average, right? Some years is more, some is a little bit less, um, but that has proven to be like a good low number. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's kind of interesting when you, when you think about it, right? Because all the easy gold was mined, you know, kind of by hand or with little technology, all the stuff that was close to the surface has already been mined, right? Yeah. Unless there's some that we haven't found, which is possible. Um, but then as the population of the earth grew and as trade expanded, because you're thinking all the gold that was ever produced is still in existence. So yeah. why isn't it worth less? Well, because there's more trade and there's more people. Yeah. Um, so it kind of fits naturally that way. Yeah. And then, yeah, as it gets harder to um, mine, yeah. technology also increases. It gets better at mining it. And gets better at mining it. Yeah. So... And yeah, there's, it's never is like a perfect line, right? You'll have yeah. like, it'll get really, really hard to mine and there's not much available and then <laughs> boom, there's a new technology yeah, that makes it easier. Gold's again. interesting because it's been like sought after as money for thousands of years, right? Yeah. So we've had the advantage of looking at this curve for like a long, long period of history. Um, and then we can, we can kind of predict what the next, you know, X number of years are going to be because we know it's like 2% and just seems to be that way, no matter what the technology is, no matter what the incentive to mine it is or, um, whatever. But when you hear the concept, uh, or the word, the term, uh, hard money, I guess that's one like this, this ties into that because it's, it's hard to produce, right? So if you ever hear that word, that's kind of what that means, right? Like hard money is something that's hard to produce or expensive to produce. Does that make sense? Yeah, sort of. I might disagree a little All bit right, there. Let's but, disagree. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> let's disagree to disagree. <laughs> uh, but yeah, even even back uh, like in Genesis, right? It references, um, it talks about the gold of Havilah. It does? All right, let's it does. I think you mentioned that yeah. last time. You mentioned it no, at some I point. Didn't. Yes. Genesis chapter 2. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Does that sound really good? Yeah. yeah. Nice. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. So, int- yeah. Interesting, interesting, right? Yeah. We never... 
I don't know. We just kind of take that as a description of like, okay, here's kind of like physically or geographically what what, the, what it was like. But why would yeah. you, why make that point that the gold was good? Yeah. Oh, right? I don't interesting. know. Yeah. Um, suffice it to say, it had value. Yeah. And uh, it still has value. Now, we've managed to corrupt that, right? I don't know if... Um, if we want, yeah, yeah, we should probably we're, go there, right? We're pretty good at corrupting things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even something like gold that God has said is good, we still manage to corrupt it, right? Yeah. So maybe we talk about banks for uh, oh, great for a minute. <laughs> well, well, maybe we'll close off the episode with uh, a rant about banks. Yeah, right. So banks have been around forever. A bank essentially is a spot where you could safely put your money. Well, just quickly the history of banks right so why why do you need that's that's what i was talking about why do you need banks to begin with yeah so if you had a whole bunch of gold what would you do right you dig a hole under your hut or your house or your castle or whatever and that was that was done right and that's why like you know you read about the vikings pirates raiding and plundering um right and they were to get these big chests of gold right and that could have been like in the castle you had the keep and you had like a lot of gold there and, and other precious metals or in a church and maybe it was buried somewhere, right? People would hide it somewhere. So eventually someone was like, hey, I can, you know, um, keep it in a bank. Make a business out of... Uh, and the bank will keep it... Custodian. A, will keep it safe yeah. and they'll custody it so I don't have to wander around with like this massive chest of gold um, to like to do business, right? I can get a note from the bank... That says, hey, this guy has X amount of gold and um, use this. This note is basically tradable for gold. We as the bank will guarantee it. Yeah. And that facilitated facilitated a lot of international trade as well. You would yeah. just have these certificates and uh, they were exchangeable for uh, for gold. And you would have, you know, the traders would have to have an understanding between them that like, yes, I trust this bank and he trusts that. And, you know, a lot of them would maybe start it out just as yeah, merchants. This is crazy. Like the, the, the actual token that you get from the bank then is not money. No. Right? But there is a high degree of trust among these traders. And a lot of them would be like relatives, Right. So you had a family here, and then one guy went over to this other port yeah. city, and uh, he would establish a thing there, but they would trust each other because they're family, right? That yeah. was the bond. Um, and, you know, if somebody comes with a certificate or a, like a letter from from Uncle Fred who <laughs> went to this uh, city, right, you would yeah. trust that, and you'd be like, okay, here's some gold. So now I can travel from place to place. I don't need to bring gold with me. I can just go there and get some out of the bank as long as I'm like, okay, I gave this guy 10 gold coins. Now I'm going to go over to this city and I'm going to exchange this certificate for 10 gold coins. But now now the the transactions take on a bit of a different level of complexity. You're no longer doing like peer to peer. You're no longer doing person to person transaction with money. You're no, no longer exchanging that value directly. Indirect change. Now you've got like another layer of indirect exchange inside of there, right? Yeah. You're trading your value for a certificate and you're taking that certificate to another institution and then you're trading that in to get your other money and then you go do your transaction or whatever. Yeah. And so you would, yeah, there's a high degree of trust required. Yeah. And when you had merchants that all trusted each other, that kind of worked out because if anybody ever tried to cheat the system, like they would be out of business. Nobody would do would trade with them or do yeah. business. So, I mean, fast forward a little bit. If you want to think in the North American context, right, you would have um, banks set up here. And same thing, they would take in gold and then they would issue paper certificates based on that. But they realized this is the start of fractional reserve banking, right? That didn't, that wasn't like a recent this century or last century kind of thing, but goes back a little ways. They realize that, hey, I've got, you know, 100 pounds of gold or whatever um, from all these different people. Not everybody is actually going to want all their gold at once. So I can lend some of it out with actually without actually lending. I can lend out on credit more than I actually have on deposit. Yeah. Right. And if everybody comes back at once, well, then we got a problem. Right. And that was the you know, the run on the bank, right? When they had more out, more lent out than they actually had. So then they would try and get their, 
get back what they had lent out. Right. So when you compare that to what we're just talking about, the stock to flow ratio and how money can be hard to produce, those bank receipts or those notes that the banks are giving are mm-hmm. not very difficult to produce, right? The guy's producing one for one customer who gives him gold, and then all of a sudden he's producing him another one, um, and he just does it with like total fiat where there's nobody who actually... Um, you know, exchanged gold for that. He just has the other guy's gold in reserve and he's fractionally lending on it. Like the cost to produce that certificate is very low, right? He didn't have to go mine the gold. He didn't have to go and uh, even produce agri beads to, <laughs> to, to make that value appear, right? Yeah. So now he, the banker can benefit from, um, you know, being able to lend out all of this and make a return on that. <clears throat> so... Yeah, so, um, so yeah, this is known as fractional reserve banking because yeah. you're, um, yeah, lending out more than you, uh, more than you, like fractions, but no. more than you have. So um, I'm just, I've got this uh, little, little chart here in this wonderful book, You, Me, and Airbnb, uh, where we talk about, <laughs> uh, we talk about money and fractional reserve banking. And this is simplified, but it, um, you know, it does represent what can happen or what has happened, what does happen, right? So I come in with a uh, $1,000 to a yeah. bank and I could, whatever, $1,000 in gold or in this case, now it's just $1,000 in cash, right? The bank has to keep some of that in reserve. And, you know, these reserve requirements have dropped quite a bit to the point where uh, in Canada, anyways, the, there's not actually a number. It just has to be a reasonable amount. Um, but let's say that was 10%. That was a rule in the States for a long time, which has uh, been dropped as well. But let's say the bank had to keep at least 100 bucks in reserve. And they made these rules based on, like, you know, how many people are going to come and want to take out their money. So that means they have $900 that they can loan out. So now there's actually, I got $1,000 in the bank, quote unquote, but they've lent out 900 bucks. So now there's actually $1,900 in the system. The bank only has $100. Yeah, that's not good. Right? I see where this is going. <laughs> right? So now I can, you know, person B can Mark, borrow why that $900. Why we start a bank? <laughs> if only. That is literally a license to print money. Person B goes to the next bank, um, puts that $900 on deposit. The bank keeps 90 bucks in reserve, and they loan out $810. And so you just do this uh, ad infinitum, right? Um, yeah. To the point where there's like, yeah, a hundred bucks could be ten thousand dollars worth of uh, deposit. Thousand dollars could be ten grand easily of money in the system, and the banks are allowed to do this, yeah. right? And initially, initially there were controls put on uh, banks because you know banks would lend out more than they had, and then um, either everybody would come and need their money at once because of some event that happened or somebody would get wind of it and be like, Ooh, Ooh I got to get yeah. my money, my gold out before everybody else cottons on to what's going on. So I'm going to run there, but then other people figure it out and they all go and they're all like, I want my money. And the bank's like, Oh, we don't have it. So this <laughs> happened a bunch of times. Right. Yeah. And even like go 1800s, for example, bunch of times till, um, people said, Hey, you know what? We need the government to really straighten this out central bank the concept of a central bank was created this was contentious andrew jackson is andrew jackson was one of the presidents who really um debated against and i i believe um for a while stopped the central bank so the first central bank in the united states anyways had a 10-year charter and that expired and then they argued about it for a while and then eventually created another one that one expired and then 1913 we have the federal reserve bank came into existence that's the one yeah. that we are familiar with it now but even back then people saw the danger of uh, central banking because what they didn't do they didn't get rid of frac- fractional reserve banking yeah they didn't say you can only loan out what you have they said you know what, um, you guys really are doing a bad job and we're going to centralize this and we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just, oh, guys. That you, sounds familiar. Yeah, right? you had an opportunity and what do you do? So now the, yeah. But even the word fractional reserve, like they admit that 
there's a reserve and the reserve is actually money, right? The, yeah. the, the, the notes or whatever they're lending on top is just debt for the reserves and the reserves are the money. So, um, when you talk about historical monies that were used, like to me, those are almost the real money and you're, you're actually taking the money, which is the representative of the store of value and you physically hold it and then you physically transact with it for some other thing. And then you get that in return, right? Yeah. When you start to abstract this with uh, a banking system where the actual physical part of it is put into the bank and then the bank gives you a, a, a fiat token or like a, a note, a piece of, like maybe it's still a physical piece of paper, but it's just an abstraction, right? It's not actually gold. It's just a note that says there's gold somewhere and you can go get it if you want. And in today's day and age, like you don't even get a physical thing. You just get a notification on your phone. Hey buddy, you got some like, you know, representations of something in your bank account. And we don't even have representations of something anymore. No. But, um, but when you add that layer of abstraction to this, it becomes like, okay, first of all, more complex for people to understand, but then it's almost like when it's normalized, it's like, okay, well, and then people can take advantage of it without people knowing. And that's where we are today. I think, right. We're like the central institutions that like central bank, the government can control these things without people really knowing, caring or having any say. And then they can, uh, quickly disseminate it through digital means to everybody's bank account or whatever. Right. Well, if you use the glass bead example, yeah. Right. Again, the people who were in those societies didn't really see what was happening. They just knew like, hey, I got a whole bunch of glass beads. Yeah. Like I can go buy a whole bunch of stuff for Turns do whatever. Out everything's right? more expensive. Yeah. Oh, OK. It costs a little more in glass beads to buy this same thing that yeah. I bought, you know, last week. But like whatever, I've got I got more of them. So yeah. it's all good. They didn't understand what was happening yeah. to their money system. It was being corrupted and eventually would impoverish them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, so just a note, like central banking, again, not, not a big fan of central banking, but uh, Lynn Alden also kind of, she walks through this in a lot more detail than we have, uh, but she notes the difference between centralized banking and centralized fractional reserve lending or banking, yeah. which <laughs> is really the issue. Centralized fractional reserve lending. Yeah. Right? Because now you have basically the central banks backstop the governments in their reckless spending um, policies. Yeah. Because if you have an institution that's just literally custodying or custodianing, custodying, uh, custodying the money, right? It's and so a they're bit like custard. Yeah. Custarding the money. And you bring it to them and you. Oh, yeah. the delicious Central <laughs> Bank of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have that institution and they're doing it one for one, right? And they give you a note that says it's fully redeemable. Well, as long as you trust them that that is one to one, and they are actually doing it one to one, yeah, then it, it could work quite well, right? If it's if it actually is, but it's that trust element that the society, like people in the society, have to trust that that institution is doing that one to one. Well, the only thing I would trust is that when you centralize that much power, and <laughs> like money, power, well, that it's going to be corrupted. Yeah, and it, like it's. It has been. Yeah. So, I mean, my point's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't have easy, any counter easy, arg right? yeah, easy argument to make, yeah. but, uh, but I think like, I think it's true. Right. And so that's part of the problem with centralizing all this is we know, right. If you think mankind is basically good and we'll do the right thing. Yeah. Okay. Then that's a great idea. If you think, no, we're corrupt and we're going to find out a way to, to ruin everything that we can. Um, well, for our advantage too, right? You put someone yeah, yeah. in that position of power. It's not yeah. like he just wants to destroy the system. It's most of the time they use it like strategically for their advantage. Absolutely. <laughs> and then and, when you see it in, in, uh, in central banks, um, you know, in cahoots with the government and yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this. In <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's very heated conversations about people that. often talk about the gold standard, right? Yeah. And how like that was our ruin. People do or just you and I? Well, I mean, people. we're people, yeah. not but other people too. Yeah. Um, talk about how the gold standard, like 1971, once we, and if like, if you're not familiar with this and you're listening, like, um, I don't know, do some research, I guess. You can go to WTFHappenedIn1971.com. Yeah, you've mentioned primer that on before, this. too. Yeah, it's a decent little website. Um, 
but people will point to 1971 as sort of a central or like a that inflection point in the history of money um, but really it wasn't that was so that's when richard nixon suspended uh convertibility of dollars to gold so basically what happened after world war one was the u.s said hey We've already got most of your gold, like all the different countries around the world, because they shipped off their gold reserves to the U.S. so that Germany wouldn't uh, plunder it. Um, they said, look, it's already here. Why don't we just have a system? And there's some debate about, like, do we use dollars or do we use pounds? Dollars won out. And um, we'll just use, uh, like, we'll just, like, just trust us. We'll hang on to your gold and we'll just convert it for dollars, Right as uh, as needed right so if you france need uh, some money like we'll just send you some dollars because we got your gold right so what happened was of course they started lending out more than they had fractional reserve and then the knock-on effects is that this money would u.s dollars would make it into europe and then those banks would lend based on those dollars again so now it was multiplied even beyond the original fraction of a fraction of a reserve exactly till eventually people realize like oh this isn't working and if everybody demands all their gold like we don't have it so nixon just that was basically an acknowledgement of that broken system i think all this goes to say like people still that problem still persists that we mentioned at the top of the show last episode as well that human beings are still looking for a way to store value yeah over time into the future because um you know, it, it's it's just human human uh, nature. It's just our tendency to work, and then yeah. How do, how do I say this? <laughs> We're trying to store the value of yeah. our labor into the future. Yep. You have excess labor. You want to store the value for you know future generations, whatever the case may be, especially for a rainy day or something that you might need. Anyways, it's raining right now. It's raining right now, and uh, we don't have any <laughs> excess <laughs> excess <laughs> nuts. <laughs> but. <clears throat> But we still haven't solved that problem, right? And that, that I don't, in, a, in an imperfect world, I don't think we will solve that problem. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that people are still going to seek solutions to it and find, right? And whether or not you actually, um, you know, actively acknowledge that's the problem and then start seeking it out and like waking up in the morning going, hey, what's the best money, right? Yeah. Um, you know, most people don't do that. But what does happen is, people over time who choose harder monies they went out over uh less hard or unsound monies yeah. right? monies that uh can't be debased or that are controlled by certain entities right so i think it comes down to the fact that like people have a choice as well to choose what is their preferred method of storing value right yeah. that, that's kind of the way i look at this is if I want to store my value, I could choose dollars, but you know, that's my decision. Like the government tells me how to pay my taxes in dollars. So I do need some portion of dollars, whatever. And there's this artificial demand there, but, um, you know, do I want to store a hundred percent of my wealth in money that is in the control of the government can be printed and diluted. And so it's clearly not scarce. Right. Um, or do I want to seek something that might have properties that, uh, are similar to dollars, but then also have this element of scarcity that, um, I know. So for example, gold, right? Like it's the, the, the supply of it is kind of moderated by nature itself. Like you can't just go out as a country and say, there is now more gold. Like there just isn't, sorry, you have to go expend resources and go get it. Show me and prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Prove it. Uh, but with fractional reserve, like they don't really show you, they, you, 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 by participating in that system, you essentially know that there isn't right. Um, and now with fiat money, there definitely isn't. And we all acknowledge that whether or not we know it or not, that's what we're trying to do on this podcast is tell people about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because again, we're in the system. It is being debased. Um, and most of us don't realize it. Yeah. And some people kind of maybe figure it out intuitively. And this is why we like real estate because, you know, like you said, you can either hold your money in dollars or you can find something that's a little bit harder to produce. So like an asset like real estate, for example. And then people are like, oh, these guys, you know, 
This guy invested in all the land. (laughs) Well, no, but like this guy invested in real estate and, you know, like, oh, he's so rich. And it's like, well, no, he's just trying to protect his um, the value of excess value. Yeah. Yeah. uh, From debasement. Yeah. By uh, by the government. And um, and like, again, sort of abstract concepts, but people are really starting to realize it now. Now that everybody's feeling pain. Yeah. Everybody's feeling the pinch from inflation. And like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Like, this is why. Yeah. Your money is debased. Yeah. And, um, all right. Next time we talk about inflation, you'll leave it for another day. Yeah. <laughs> we even talk about hyperinflation, <laughs> right? When inflation goes bad. And we get hyper. <laughs> all right. Stay tuned, folks, for that episode forthcoming. And until next time, steward your wealth wisely. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.